0: But I am not ashamed, for I know the one in whom I have put my trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard until that day what I have entrusted to him. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Hey everybody, I'm Chris Dowd.
1: And I'm Reagan Gilliland.
0: And this is Off Script, a podcast where every week we take a deeper dive on last Sunday's sermon, talk about the theology behind it, and get a chance to discuss anything that ended up on the cutting room floor. We are talking about yesterday's sermon Mm -hmm. and uh, service on World Communion Sunday. Yeah. And so you actually celebrated communion in modern. I did. Because Stephanie was out of town.
1: Stephanie was out. So I was in there, and then I ran to Sanctuary to see if I could catch Andy singing. And just oh, missed the children's choir. Did you really? <laughs> I did. Oh, dang. And then I came back. I was like, oh, it's okay. Sorry about that. We it's,
0: recorded it, though.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. My in-laws were in there. so they, Oh, okay, okay. So we're all good. Okay. But it was just one of those mornings running back and forth. Excellent. Um, But no, it was a great Sunday. <laughs> we had a lot going on. So we had, like, get to know Methodism. We had a special speaker, Colin Packer, from City Square. He was great. Um, Then we had, yeah, of course, World Communion. Then we had the Town Hall. I mean, Kristen preaching was great because she's, you know, learning. And uh, it's just, I don't know, it was just an exciting morning. It was a great
0: morning. Yeah. Good energy all across the, the campus all morning. Mm-hmm. And it's always great when the kids sing. And, I, and World Communion Sunday is always a good Sunday. It kind of pushes us beyond, beyond our walls, at least in our imagination, you mm-hmm. know, connecting to Christians around the world. And then we just flat out had to talk about a challenging thing.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the
0: method, method drama uh-huh.
1: <laughs> that seems never ending
0: these days. <laughs> but we talked about, you know, who we are and who we're going to be and it's all good.
1: Yeah. So I thought it was a great sermon, great town hall. So this podcast, we're kind of going to talk about kind of both. Um, you but, missed
0: my funny ad lib line.
1: Well, I so because I didn't have your manuscript last night. Yeah. I rewatched eleven o'clock. Oh, did you? Okay, good. So I could okay, do mm-hmm. questions. And I
0: sorry said, about that. That's all right. I meant to send it to you on Saturday night.
1: You kind of had a lot going on this weekend. I, I so. this
0: was like town halls. <laughs> I love town halls because they uh, get a chance. Like you. Unless people come to your Bible study, you don't have a lot of interaction with mm-hmm. the marriage. Like preaching is great and there is a certain kind of interaction, and some people come through the line, but this is like a big kind of family meeting. And in a church our size, that's a pretty big meeting. And so it absorbed much of my brain space on uh, on Saturday. Thankfully, the Irish didn't play on Saturday. So we had a band competition, and I could and then after that for Max, and then I could focus on, on this. So, but it was good. Yeah. yeah.
1: Okay. So I want to go ahead and, and dive into. Um, Most of our listeners know you grew up Catholic. And so, what was your first experience outside the Catholic Church? And was hearing a modern contemporary worship style like weird for you? (laughs) Like, at first, how, I mean, you know, talk about
0: that. uh, So, uh, what makes you think of this?
1: So, you kind of talk about uh, people finding their place. Oh,
0: yeah. Okay. Okay, You
1: know, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, I thought I I was so disdainful of modern music. So disdainful. Really, until we started a modern service in Sherman. And uh, Mason Morrison, who, who's our lead musician here, um, was also our lead musician there. And introduced me to all kinds of just wonderful modern music. But, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, <laughs> I'm very traditionalist when it comes to that. And so, um, it, yeah, everything about Methodism took me a little bit of getting used to. Yeah. And I've told the story surely before about having uh, the first Methodist service we ever went to. We went to it. It was at Arapaho which is where your husband is now the pastor, and uh, for our listeners, I know know Mm -hmm, you know that. mm -hmm. Um, But the first day we were there, uh, the associate was preaching because the senior pastor was out of town. She was married to the senior pastor, and it was all women leading the service, and it was just, it really freaked me out, like, you know, and I actually leaned over to Whitney and asked her when they're bringing out the guys. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Of course, and it ended up being amazing, and uh, Marty, who was Marty's Soper, who was the preacher that day, was just terrific. She's, you know, one of my favorite Methodist preachers, So, But all of it was changing paradigms, mm-hmm. you know, like who who could be in authority and what constitutes sacred music and what exactly is a worship service because mm-hmm. in the Catholic Church, it's all about the sacrifice. It's all about communion. Yeah, Homilies are really kind of a secondary thing, and for most priests, that's definitely true. <laughs> it's not really their <laughs> jam as opposed to the... Protestant service, where it's kind of the, the main thing is the proclamation. Yeah. So once I did get adjusted to it, though, I've been, you know, to more traditional services that sent it, more traditional traditions since then, you know, back to the Catholic Church course when I'm visiting uh, parents and all that, and then Orthodox services. And there's still much to really that resonates with me about those services, but um, I'm 100% Methodist now.
1: Yeah. But a lot of the traditions, like anytime I talk to— someone that's coming to a church that has a Catholic background, okay. they're like, it does feel familiar, you know, and so it's not like you scrapped all of the things. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, like Especially here, right? because yeah.
0: I mean, our sanctuary is very comfortable and inviting, but it's still pretty traditional with the organ and the choir loft back there. And I think what feels uh, familiar to people is, the, is kind of the liturgical flow, especially for those churches like ours that do a creed every week and call to worship and, you know, some of those more formal elements. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, okay. I think, but
0: I do think that's why so many former Catholics, especially if they marry somebody from a different tradition, yeah. Methodism is a is a, often a happy medium.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I bring that up because towards the top, you just talked about how every um, Christian or Christ follower needs to find a church home that best fits like who they are, who are in yeah. Christ. And so why do you think the Methodist Church makes it easy? Why do we have so many couples that come from different traditions mm-hmm. that are like, oh, this feels good, and mm-hmm. they come from pretty different backgrounds. Yeah,
0: yeah. So I, I didn't say this yesterday cuz we were I was really kind of honed in on doctrine. Yeah. Because it, it's what like that's what unites us. We're doctrinal, but we're not dogmatic. So we don't we don't insist that everybody think the same way like a lot of traditions do or like even if it's not a requirement for membership, that's still kind of the expectation that okay. everyone mm-hmm. think the same way. Mm-hmm. So I think the fact that we can I mean this whole Methodist ethos, even if we don't name it frequently enough probably of think and let think, I think is a big deal. And it shows up in our theology, it shows up, like John Wesley could not have come to a different conclusion based on the foundation of grace that the whole structure is built upon. So you're a little more conservative, no problem. But well, there's, there's room for that. You're a little more progressive, no problem. There's room for that. You're still figuring it out, absolutely no problem. And we're all figuring it out. We're all going on to perfection. So I think that kind of gracious approach to theology in general affects the way that we do life together. And um, there's enough familiar elements from other tra- traditions that if you're coming, it feels familiar, but it's still something new. And I, you know, I just, to me, it's just, it's just always felt like home. And I was very really, I mean, I consider myself a pretty religious person from all of my life, but it's just, it feels, Arapaho felt that way. Every Methodist church I've felt, I've been in has felt the same way, you know, slightly different environments or whatever, but theologically, this is home.
1: Yeah. I think I appreciate that, you know, we've got all these, we say a lot of old creeds. We have these old prayers. We have, um, we uplift communion and baptism, like very important. And then, but then we've got these social principles that we try to be like up to date on current events. And so that's why I feel like people connect because if they're like, we want to, we want to be about current topics. There are, but if you're like, I really love traditional things, we've got that too. Mm -hmm. And it's fun to be able to go back and forth because I'm not completely—I'm going to use the word fed by like one particular style, right, right, and right. so I find I'm always challenged, and I feel like I'm, yeah, I'm just fed in different ways, and so I'm thankful
0: for the Methodist Church for
1: a lot of reasons. But I think that's what makes it feel like home yeah, to so yeah. many people.
0: Well, and then also here, you can get both—you can get the traditional venue, yep, with choir and organ, or you can get a very kind of rocked-out mm-hmm. modern experience as well. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. So, I I was thinking about this. Have you? I'm sure you have. I, I know you have. Talked to people and given them a blessing to go to another church because.
0: Oh yeah. 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 yeah.
1: So talk about was that yeah. hard in the beginning? Uh,
0: that's a really insightful question. So, um, it's fun that we're reading the pastoral epistles. Mm-hmm. Right. Second Timothy is written to encourage this uh, this young pastor, from an old timer. You know, from an experienced hand. Uh-huh. And
1: is that why you looked at me, like every sermon? <laughs> <laughs> he kept you're, looking you're the young whippersnapper. And I was like
0: yeah <laughs> well there's one, one part of why I said all of our clergy too are sticking yeah. around you know but um but yeah, yes, because this is like this is true of everyone in the church, I think, but it's particularly true of of pastors because it's it's hard not to take everything personally <laughs> when you're kind of responsible for uh you know like putting together services that are appealing and and conveying the right kind of theology at the right time and all that i mean there's it's a lot of responsibility and so if if somebody comes and it happens more regularly than you think then i think i would have considered before i became a pastor that somebody comes in and and just expresses a need for something different whether that's um more a more liberal position from their church or a more traditional position from their church or a different time of worship or a different size community or a different uh, adult discipleship path. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons that people might discover that people might decide that your particular congregation is not the one for them. And you can either look at that as losing someone, or you can look at that as helping someone find a, a place where they can really fully grow in their faith. Because, there are uh, an equal number if not more folks doing the uh, doing the thing, uh, same thing at other churches they're gonna end up at your place you yeah. know what I mean yeah so your question is is that hard um, I think the younger you are in ministry the harder that is the longer you do you do it um, you know the longer you're kind of in this call the more you realize that ultimately that's the Holy Spirit's work it's not our work and so if the Holy Spirit is leading someone, in a different direction. Um, it's actually an unfaithful thing Thing to try to prevent that. Um, but, as, but your job as the pastor is to make sure people are fully informed. And fully informed means truthfully informed about what you are all about, what your church is all about, and not trying to sell people on staying somewhere they really probably aren't a great fit. I mean, if somebody is... Uh, kind of a hardcore um, scripture is the inerrant word of God, Baptist background, fundamentalist background, they're probably not going to be um, settled spiritually over the long haul at this place because that's not who we are. And so, um, you know, I had somebody tell me one time that they disappreciate like directness, like, you know, just, just don't beat around the bush. Just say yeah. what, say exactly what the United Methodist Church is all about. Yeah. And I think that's really important. And the, the town hall thing, was looking at Ashley, um, is, a, is an opportunity to do that. It's, it's an opportunity to, um, like in a, in a sermon, you're trying to accomplish a specific thing. Like there's a specific focus statement and there's a lot of stuff that doesn't fit that probably would be good to amplify, but you don't have time for. In a town hall, you can say, look, this is where the – Methodist Church stands. This is where our particular congregation stands. And here are all the ways to look at that. And here are some alternative um, ways of understanding it. And of all those alternatives, here's where we are and here's why. And please tell me if that doesn't make sense and we can talk about it. And I just think that's really like helping someone find the best fit is really, really important. Now, ideally, everyone who came to Christ United would think, oh my gosh, this is the perfect place for me. But that's not reality, right? That's just not reality anywhere in life,
1: so. Yeah, Uh since I do a lot of the meetings with families getting their children baptized um, or people, we had someone message on Facebook recently and just talking to people like, hey, we wanna be a place where you don't have to get in their car and turn to your kid and be like, okay, let me undo the, <laughs> let me tell you, like, that's what we not believe. Like, you don't <laughs> right. do damage control. Right. Like, you wanna be in a church where you're like, you're not agree with everything, but if you're constantly having to like, okay, actually we don't do that or we don't believe that, um, that's just a mess. That's why it's okay. And in any conversation, because I've had those too with people, as I always end a conversation. And if you go and you find someplace and then you find yourself back here, you are always welcome. Always home. welcome. You're always welcome. Mm-hmm. Like, go do your thing, but you always have a home mm-hmm. here if you want to come back. Mm-hmm. Please don't feel embarrassed or whatever. You are always welcome mm-hmm. here. I think that's a thing about, like, religious institutions that's kind of gotten ingrained over time that probably wasn't meant. But, like, this idea of, like you were saying, you have to believe the same thing. Mm-hmm. You have to be settled. If you're not here, you're gone. If you come back, why are you here? You know, mm-hmm. um, and uh, transparency from religious institutions mm-hmm. isn't necessarily what everybody expects. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I think it's it's deeply refreshing, mm-hmm. too have that sort of atmosphere. And that's what people want. Mm -hmm. I mean, new people that are coming to the church that have no experience with the church or have been, they're like, no, I really need to know Mm because I've been either lied to or this is my last Mm -hmm. chance. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, all right, I'll shoot you straight. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'll tell you. I think
0: one of the highest compliments people can pay us as pastors after they experience the church for a little bit is that we're authentic mm -hmm. or real. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I I mean, I I I may agree with everything you say or not, Mm -hmm. but I know you're like what I see is what I get. Mm-hmm. You're not trying to sell me something. You're being honest with who you are theologically and where the church is theologically. And I just think that's, um, I think that authenticity is something people crave. And I think people who leave the church haven't found authenticity <laughs> or they found something authentically bad <laughs> that they didn't want to be part of.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. So you said somewhere in your sermon, you were talking about uh, a family, when a family is doing their best I'm looking at you to recall, Um, they kind of put aside some things for the greater good. So doesn't that mean like, okay, you're compromising? Doesn't mean someone's losing? How is it not that?
0: (laughs) I'm laughing because, yes, that's the way we tend to think, right? (laughs) So, no, I said a a family at its best is where you can agree on the essentials and then agree to disagree on stuff that's really opinion. Mm -hmm. And I do think it's important to know the historical context of John Wesley, that he was in a society that had experienced – Long periods of religious persecution and bloody civil war over religion. And so he, he, it was deeply ingrained in him that there are some things we really can't compromise on. And then there are some things that are actually very, there are many things that we can agree to disagree on. Yeah. I do not think that life or theology is a zero sum game. I think that I can have my opinions about, I pick a topic. I mean, well, let's, let's pick a non controversial one. I don't drink. Mm-hmm. I, I don't drink alcohol. I haven't had a drink in many, many years because it is very bad for me. <laughs> that doesn't mean that I judge you for drinking. Our discipline, by the way, is not real big on drinking. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> I mean, we, we've had uh, part of our, our, our story is that John Wesley worked with alcoholics at a time when everybody just considered them uh, very much on the margins. And so... It was a little different for him because hard, hard liquor was different than beer because, mm-hmm. you know, you couldn't really drink the water sometimes. That, I mean, so there's nuanced conversation there as well. But in general, um, there's a pretty strong temperance ethos in our view of alcohol. But that doesn't mean that's not an essential,
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> right? Our doctrines are our essentials. Um, our social principles uh, are, are pretty... Nuanced on abortion to take a really nuclear subject.
1: Advent have, week one, right? Advent, Advent <laughs> week one. <laughs> that was my. That was God, my it advent. was so good. Oh, it was such a good one.
0: <laughs> Our faith should inform how we think about it, but you can come to very different conclusions from the same starting point on those subjects. And I think uh, healthy families—not every family, but healthy families—can figure out a way to navigate that, where you know maybe you don't talk politics at the Thanksgiving table. I am mm-hmm. not best to do that, and so. It's a similar thing with a church family. So we agree on who is Lord and Savior. We agree on where salvation lies. We agree on uh, the need to grow in love for God and neighbor. We agree on welcoming the stranger. We agree, like, there is a long, long list. Anybody who thinks Methodists don't believe anything hadn't really paid (laughs) much attention or done much research. But then beyond that doctrine, there's a whole bunch of stuff that is opinion that's hopefully influenced by our theology. But whether you're but but where you come on your outcomes on that uh will differ greatly depending on if you're more conservative theologically or more progressive theologically and politically and ideologically, right?
1: Yeah, for some reason, I mean, I would encourage, I don't know what it was, the visual of you when you're going through like our doctor, the way that <laughs> it sounds simple but when you're like with your hands, like our doctrine over here, almost like this is not changing. This is untouchable. Right. This stuff over here, you kind of were like almost lucid goosey with your hands. Like <laughs> this stuff, yes, it's important, but like, and seeing that visual, I think was very good for people to yeah. so like hear and see like, okay, so the foundation of who we are as United Methodists, that is not changing. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. Thanks for that. And so yeah. Don and I were talking about this last week and I was doing that thing. I was doing that in my office. i like, here's how I think of it. And he's like, that. Mm-hmm. Like the way you're doing your hands right there is really good. Like that's yeah. actually very clear.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So if you ha- haven't listened, like it's okay to listen to just you know listen. But if you go watch it, there's something about I don't know that was helpful for I
0: think for many people. Yeah, I think I honestly think that if you just are, if you just speak directly about that, you can look in the congregation and see like you can see people looking around thinking, yeah, I really like you. I like I, we 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 may not vote the same we're friends like we're we show up for one another when the chips are down mm-hmm. like we're we're we sit next to each other at christmas and easter and our kids grew up together mm-hmm. and we're in different places on certain things and maybe even some of the radioactive things in culture right now and in the church but we're all in this together and we've all been through a lot together the past few years so why would we cash that in over a disagre- difference of opinion that just doesn't yeah this doesn't make any sense to me
1: yeah. Trying to seek to understand, like, and that's what my personal challenge to myself is, like, I don't agree with whatever the topic is, but I can understand why you're at that point. Yeah, for 100%. And that's, like, why can't we just say that?
0: Yeah. And let's just go, let's get right to it. Okay. Human sexuality. If you are pro-LGBTQ inclusion, you can make a very strong biblical case for that. You can make a very strong cultural context case for that. Uh, you can make a personal case for that, if you're, depending on who you know in your circle of influence or your family. And I understand every bit of that. If you are a traditionalist and you come from a very conservative place and you're standing on 2,000 years of Christian tradition, I get all of that. Mm -hmm. I get that. We don't have to agree Mm -hmm. in order for us to be in community together. And we don't have to have the church have a stance that agrees with whatever we believe about that in order to stay in community together. And what ends up happening is the critique from the far right is that people who are progressive don't take the Bible seriously, which is unfair and inaccurate because there are lots of very faithful people who have come to a very progressive place. And the, and the critique from the far left is that if you are in a traditional place on this, that you're a bigot and yeah. you are violating like basic issues of justice in God's kingdom. And that's just not that's not fair. I understand the arguments on both sides, yeah. but I don't think that's generous enough. And I don't think, I think that's what ends up, I mean, it's like everything else in our society. Those, the, the extremes of the positions end up driving the conversation and are an effective kind of flame throwing messaging way of dividing people. And I just don't think, I think we have to fight against that.
1: Okay. So, General conference, all that has been like pushed back and delayed yeah. and all the stuff. Um, but can you talk about what was presented before of how it kind of gave freedom to different groups to to stay connected but live out their
0: right, right. Can You're you talking talk about, about for twenty nineteen? Yeah. So, so the last time General Conference met was specifically to um, kind of resolve our standoff. Standoff? Is that the right word? Our impasse uh, on human sexuality, and the and the. Plan that that Don endorsed and that Christ United Methodist Church talked a lot about. So this would be familiar to people who've been around for a while. Is the One Church Plan, which is which said that we are one church that is not of one mind on this issue, this subject, and so that would have allowed space for uh, individual churches to be clear about where they were theologically and whether or not they theologically could support hosting same-sex weddings. It would allow clergy the same kind of latitude, whether or not their church, wherever their church was theologically, clergy would, declare, would decide where they were theologically, so whether or not they would do weddings. And then the, other, the one that's a little trickier and harder to tease out is ordination, because in annual conferences, would have to decide if they would be okay ordaining gay and lesbian clergy who were in relationship with other folk yeah. and not celibate and single. So um, that did not pass, and 2019, the tone of of that general conference was pretty nasty. The more traditional position prevailed, but then there was also this additional kind of punitive language added in on several fronts, and I won't get into too much detail on that, but it was added in, and they added this paragraph, 2553, of the Book of Discipline, which Allowed for Disaffiliation of, of Congregations um, Over Issues of Human Sexuality, I think is that specifically what it's titled. And the idea when it was passed was that because we affirm a traditional position, if progressive churches wanted to leave, this, this allowed, allowed for that. And what's ended up happening as, as the New General Conference has gotten delayed, and delayed uh, some conservative churches are using that same paragraph to disaffiliate over issues of human sexuality, even though we still have the traditional language and the discipline, because I think the sense on the right is, and I'm talking about, when I say on the right, I'm saying, I'm talking about like the, like the caucus group, the, the one that's particularly invested in not changing the language around this. Yeah. feels like it's going to change and they don't want to be part of a church where it's going to change. It has not changed yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's not another general conference till 24, because um, it's been delayed because of the pandemic. So, um. You know, there are some churches that are disaffiliating over that.
1: One thing that I did appreciate, um, I guess, coming out of that 2019 or things that were presented is, yeah, we weren't going to force any clergy to do anything they weren't comfortable with or churches or areas of the world. Like the thing that always came up, like Africa, we're going to bless you to continue your ministry. Right. Because you, we know parts of America or parts other parts of the world were in different places. Right. But we wanted to like, but we still want to do the same work ultimately
0: right you know the proposed one church plan yeah yeah. yeah yeah
1: or the was it the christmas covenant the so Christ-
0: the christmas covenant is proposed for the next
1: general okay. conference yeah yeah
0: and that that proposal is to make a regional is to make the discipline regional mm-hmm. so that africa would have a different dis- discipline than the united states which makes sense uh for those who are proposing it because they're i mean they're just contextual realities that are yeah. very different in africa and you know Asia, than in the United States.
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's say we change the language of the Book of Discipline. Like, like, is there something else that's going to happen after that? Because I think people would think, oh, if we're going to change the language, then yeah, we're going to change our doctrine. But you <laughs> kind of talk about like it's different things. So. Right,
0: right. So that, that language about human sexuality is not in the doctrine. So the, doc- the doctrinal section of, of the discipline is is virtually impossible to change, and no one's proposing changing it. I think those centrists, and I think probably even most on the left, are, would argue to just remove the language entirely. So there's this, something called the incompatibility clause, which says that homosexuality is incompatible with Christian teaching, which is a descriptive, like descriptively that's true historically. The argument from those center and center left is uh, that we need to update that. In the same way we updated our teachings on women in leadership and at one point slavery. Uh, That we've, you know, we know more now than than we did then. That, in fact, this is not a matter of salvation. You know, there's a long argument here, a long discussion, a long debate, a long intellectual foundation on why that should be removed. But if that's removed, that does not mean that everyone has to believe it.
1: Right. (laughs) Right. That is not say that again.
0: (laughs) Right. So that (laughs) does not mean that every every. So if the church removes the incompatibility clause and changes the restrictions on marriages and uh, ordination. That does not mean that every congregation has to all of a sudden be a progressive congregation. It does not mean every Methodist has to agree with that position. As I jokingly said at one of the services yesterday that there's something in the social principles literally to make everyone mad. Literally, whether you're super conservative, super liberal, somewhere in between. And then I said quickly, don't go read it. Don't go looking for it. (laughs) (laughs) We don't need another reason to be mad. Um, But we have a, a broad diversity of thought in those principles. So... To say that you agree or disagree with the idea that, human, that homosexuality is incompatible with Christian teaching is a very different thing than saying you agree or disagree with the divinity of Christ. Those are two entirely Some different things. Some
1: would say, things. yeah. yeah. <laughs> right.
0: Like one's doctrinal, and if you are going to be a United Methodist, certainly if you're going to be a United Methodist pastor, you have to be on board with our doctrine. And everything else is secondary. And when I say that, I don't mean that it's secondary in importance, because if you are a gay or lesbian Methodist, it's not... Secondarily important to you, right? But I'm saying in the hierarchy of what makes us united, that is a, it's secondary in the intellectual sense. Like, here's our doctrine, and here are the derivative beliefs that we have based on our doctrine. And the derivative beliefs based on our doctrine actually differ, do differ based on your um, stance. Uh, coming out of that doctrine. So in other words, if you're a progressive Methodist, you're going to take that doctrine and interpret immigration policy probably in a different way than someone who's a conservative Methodist would take that doctrine and um, interpret immigration policy. And yeah. my point is, it's exactly the same way on human sexuality. The Global Methodist Church, which is the, um, the conservative denomination that has launched, launched on May 1st, uh, would argue that human sexuality is actually a doctrinal issue. And I've not done a deep dive on their book of discipline, which they have written. I don't know if they've moved that into their doctrinal section. Um, but I just fundamentally disagree with that. I mean, I, just, <laughs> I mean, I've been Methodist long enough and studying doctrine long enough to know what's doctrine and what's not. And this, to me, is not that.
1: Yeah. Um, so how does, the, how does the quadrilateral come into play
0: for this kind of stuff? Oh, God, I mean, It's <laughs> fundamental, right? I mean, this is the way we do theology, so we believe that, and I think we got into this in the town hall, that yeah. because there was a, a question that came in, and I was, appre- I was appreciative of all the questions that came in because they're on people's minds. Mm-hmm. So one of the questions was, do the clergy and staff at Christ United believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, or do they believe that core beliefs have to be understood in cultural context or something? Like it was a, yeah. it was mm-hmm. a mixture of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the way I unpacked it was yes on the first inspired word of God. Absolutely. What you consider a core belief is doing a lot of heavy lifting in that sentence and that question. So I would argue a core belief is a doctrine. And so when we, what we believe about scripture as United Methodists is that all things necessary for salvation are revealed in scripture. And those things necessary for salvation become our doctrines. We have a lot of other beliefs that we disagree about internally. And every one of those social principles is written by a committee of people who are interested in being elected to a general conference. So you can think of it as a committee of politicians is writing our policy. That's like, that's like doubly dangerous because we're human and imperfect, and we're humans in committee. It doesn't necessarily bring out the best of us <laughs> in us, right? So our doctrine is revealed in Scripture, and then it's illumined by tradition, we say, because, like, for instance you don't get a fully articulated doctrine of the divinity of Christ in the the New Testament. It took took the church some time to come up with that. Then it's uh, tested by reason and it's vivified and made alive in personal experience. And to me, the tested by reason part is, is really important because as the church learns new things, as humanity learns new things, we have to absorb that information and figure out what we think about that in light of our theology. So... Um, Don's doing our kind of roadshow with Sunday school classes and he's, and he's a philosophy major. So he, he thinks in these categories, but like, for instance, the church had to, um, gosh, he does, he does the thing with Copernicus, like the post Copernican revolution or whatever. And I, like, he's, I'm out of my depth on that. That's his wheelhouse. Um, but when the church realized that, that the earth wasn't flat and the, the earth is not the center of the universe, well, then we had to rethink exactly what our, how our theology is seen through that lens. Then when the theory of evolution developed and we had to think about, well, so now the origins of humanity, we know in a more scientific way, how does that fit into our theology of creation? We had to, now I don't know very many Methodists who really struggle with evolution, but we still believe in God as creator. Like we've assimilated that. Yeah. So, um, and, he, and his argument, and I think it's a pretty strong one, is that, you know, we're in the past generation, we've come to, like we're learning much more about human sexuality than we used to know. And I mean, I'll just confess the whole question of transgender issues, transgenderism is something that I, I mean, I personally still struggle with it. The discipline is silent on transgender issues, but we're learning a lot more about what makes someone male or female. And like, there's, we, um, there's just a lot that we don't know and that we know now that we didn't know before. And the question of homosexuality as a choice or something that you're born being affects how you, what conclusions yeah. you draw about who's you know, a child of like, like Mm -hmm. what's an, what's a sin and what's just part of how you're made. And so we're in the midst of the church wrestling with this new thing that I would argue God is revealing because I believe all knowledge is God revealed. So as science learns more, as humans learn more about our universe and our world guided by the Holy Spirit, we have to rethink some things. that's, that's the kind of centrist or center left argument. And our doctrines then our core beliefs are not they're not changing Jesus Christ is the redeemer of the world he is god incarnate sent to teach us what it is what it means to be in right relationship with god and to put us in the right relationship with god that's all core there's a whole lot that's not core so it was good it was a good day yesterday to kind of unpack some of that so the did earth, I earth is your question i didn't yeah, even remember you did. okay
1: but the earth is not flat okay i'm going to write that one down <laughs> i missed miss that yeah. so. we need to find somebody to burn in on the stake over that oh
0: dear well there's some of that too right that was not, that was not a great chapter in church history
1: nope. <laughs> a few scientists bit the dust um, trying to get the get the message yeah. out um, i do want to say as someone that has gone through bom with you on the board uh in the theology room y'all ask hard questions so like people do not need to be like mean, I think they're going easy. These all these people are slipping through. That is not the Oh, case. it's
0: it's and it sh- and it, it has to be hard. Like this is a hard job. And there's so much else you have to have your theology right if you're going to make se- if you're going to make sense of the rest of the world. And by theology right, I mean correct. Like you have to be clear on our doctrines. And you can and I I just having for a decade I've been doing this, right? And we have people in the theology room who are very conservative, and we have people in the theology room who are very liberal, and yet we all believe that Jesus rose from the dead to reconcile us to God. And we process that maybe in different ways, and we come to different conclusions, but we are all clear on our Wesleyan understanding of, of the faith, which is why it's frustrating to me when from the far left or the far right you get these disparaging critiques of the other side. Because these are all very serious people, who, very faithful people who are very much trying to wrestle with how God is at work in the world and how God shows up in their lives and how the church should be a manifestation of that. These are very serious people. And to, dis, you know, to just dismiss the conclusions they're coming to just doesn't seem very fair. It, it also doesn't seem very Christian. I mean, can yeah. I just say that? Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we have the advantage as pastors of looking out. We know people pretty well. And I can just look out and see opposite ends of the spectrum, theologically speaking, good, good people who just don't see eye to eye on some things but who see eye to eye on all the big things. So let's, for God's sake, not let it, those differences of opinion divide us.
1: So why can we be excited for the future of, of the United Methodist Church <laughs> at this point?
0: So I, I honestly think that it's, uh, it's an honor. There's a line in Hamilton. Um, let's see around look around how lucky we are to be alive right now like Mm -hmm. when we're in the middle of this wrestling with really big deep important questions what a gift and an honor to be part of that process and whatever whatever the church ends up coming out looking like on the other side see on the other side it all comes down to hamilton Somehow, first of all it's gonna be good and and god's gonna be at work in it and we will all have had a hand in helping shape it The United Methodist Church does incredible work all around the world every day. And our little corner of the world, like Christ United, we do amazing work just all by ourselves. And we could be all about that. We could be all about us and all about what we're going to do and all about us being in control of our little world here if we wanted to do that. But when when, when our congregation next month goes to Honduras on our Volt Mission trip, that is made possible because we are helping United Methodists in Honduras. And our bishop helped connect us to Methodists in another country who we would never have met who need our help. The United Methodist Church virtually eliminated malaria in Africa with the Nothing But Nets program. Christ United Methodist Church couldn't have done that. And we're an amazing church. Like we're a top 1% church in the Methodist Church, but we can't do that on our own. Is the denominational structure a bit clunky from time to time? Yeah, good Lord, yes. And is the discipline a cumbersome beating to read? Yeah, sure enough is. I've read it too many times. But are there benefits that transcend the downside? A thousand percent. And so I just think it's a a blessing for us to be a committed, important congregation that's going to get to shape what the next generation of this church denomination looks like. And you know, I'm grateful that we're part of it. I'm grateful for everything that we've inherited that's gotten us to this point, 49 years into our church's life. And the fact that we get to help lead the new, what comes next is pretty exciting.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is kind of a, almost a call a charge to like our members here, like let's rally together and Mm -hmm, see what we mm -hmm. can do. Like we can really, um, through God's leading and God's help, this like we can really make an impact and change and reintroduce faith to some people or for the first time and to be part of kind of like almost feels like a grassroots thing, almost. We were like, it's exciting. It is
0: exciting. And here's the other thing that a lot of people uh, who've never been outside the Metroplex don't realize. What we do as a church and what we contribute to Methodism enables small churches in small rural Texas to continue to thrive. So just by us being part of the connection of the United Methodist Church, we are helping the 150 or whatever the number is, small churches bear witness to the Methodist grace-filled way of being in the world in places from Bogota to Electra. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen in a non-connectional church. And, like, that's our roots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's who we are. That's who we are historically, and that's who we are every single day. And having, church, having served one of those churches in a rural area, I can tell you it's absolutely worth it. So, you know, I, I, love, I love being a Methodist. I've loved every day of it for more than two decades now, and um, I just I can't imagine being anything else.
1: All right, that's a good word.
0: All right. So thanks, y'all, for joining us. This coming week you are preaching. I am. And you're gonna be talking about shame.
1: I'm talking about shame. What's your text? Uh Mark nine. I should know this.
0: It's about uh, Jesus. Mm-hmm. It is about Jesus.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's uh the main one is the woman that
0: bled for twelve oh, years. That one. Okay, yeah. 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 Yes. The woman with the flow of blood. Yes. Mm-hmm. The hemorrhage. Hemorrhaging, Hemorrhaging woman.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. I love that passage. It's a great That's passage. a good one.
0: All right. I look forward to hearing what you have to say about that. And okay. then two weeks, we start our stewardship season sermon series, Ooh. which where then we focus on our mission,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is a, this is a great time to be focusing on our mission.
1: Perfect time.
0: And then after that, it's All Saints, and then it's the holidays, and mm-hmm. then it's the holidays, and then it's the holidays. So boom. All right, y'all. Well, we uh, always appreciate spending some time with you in the middle of the week, and uh, we will be back next week with another edition of Offscript. God bless.
1: Thanks for joining us for this episode of Off script. It was hosted by Rev. Chris Dowd and Rev. Reagan Gilland. Produced by Ashley Danner as a part of the Christ United Podcast Ministries. You can visit cumc.com backslash podcasts in order to see all of the series we have available. Like, subscribe, and follow us so that you don't miss a single episode. Thank you for supporting us. Have a great week.